0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for such a great cloud of witnesses of those who have gone before us and trusted you and your word. We pray that this morning, as we again turn to your word, that you might grant to us that same faith, trusting you, living joyfully and at peace because of what you have done and what you have promised. Uh, Open our ears, our minds and our hearts, we pray, and help me to speak what your word says. And we ask this of you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, over the past few weeks, uh, in our Old Testament readings, we've been working our way through the book of Leviticus. And to be honest, it's been a bit hard going at times, hasn't it? Very detailed regulations about what defiles a person and what must be done to cleanse them. And the sheer volume of the material and its detail is meant to impress upon us how big a deal this is. Being defiled, being unclean, is something of very great significance. It's not something that can be taken lightly. It's not something that can be undone easily. The amount of blood that was spilt because ordinary living in this fallen world defiles a person is astonishing but if God's people were to come into the presence of the living God the holy righteous pure almighty God then they needed to be cleansed and water alone would not do it however the sacrifices would only just be offered before the reason for making them resurfaced over again The very strangeness of the situation depicted for us in Leviticus and the stark language it uses of uncleanness and defilement ought to give us pause for thought. Why is that so strange to us? Throughout the Old Testament, in the ordinary course of everyday life, some things decided by those involved and some things over which they had little or no control whatsoever Everyone would be unclean at some point or another. And the first consequence of being unclean was that you must not go anywhere near something that is holy. If you were unclean, you couldn't go near the tabernacle or later the temple. You were cut off. And only something as serious and stomach-churning as a sacrifice... Could remedy the situation the blood showed how serious the uncleanness was here was a regular reminder that the bright light of God's holiness shows up not just how deeply ingrained the corruption of sin is in every one of us but how ugly it is sin corrupts it degrades it distorts It defaces the image of God in each of us. But it seems we hardly notice that, at least not in ourselves. Several weeks ago now, we arrived in our journey uh, through Matthew's Gospel at the crucifixion of Jesus. Outside the walls of the city, in the place where terrorists and insurrectionists were crucified, as a warning to the rest of the population that Rome would not tolerate rebellion, Jesus was put to death in the most horrific manner and between two such rebels. There'd literally been hundreds if not thousands of crucifixions in Jerusalem by this point in the Roman occupation of Judea. In one sense, this was nothing special, just routine. Yet there were some strange things that happened that day. Strange enough for the centurion to remark, truly, this was the son of God i've chosen over the last couple of weeks to linger a little at the cross to take some time here and not to rush too quickly onto the wonderful things that happen next it is clear that the centurion had no idea what was going on that day he just knew something was going on and so we've asked ourselves what was happening that neither he nor the others who watched on that day were able to see And you might remember that uh, we let Paul tell us in Romans 3 that there, as Jesus died, God himself exhausted his own wrath. He himself put forward a propitiation through Jesus' blood. Wrath, condemnation, guilt dealt with, and comprehensively dealt with then last week we let paul speak again this time from colossians 2 and we discovered that at that moment we were being set free that the charge against us was itself nailed to the cross that the satan's lying accusation now has no ground and is emptied of all its power not only was the evil one defeated at the cross he was utterly and completely humiliated And just as the right and holy anger of God at sin was being dealt with at the cross, so was this bondage. At the cross, we were being delivered from the domain of darkness and being transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. You see, the salvation that Jesus accomplished on the cross is a complete salvation. It deals with the totality of our predicament. The judgment of God the deceptive lies of the evil one that hold us in bondage and all the consequences of sin. He didn't just save us from part of the problem, but from all of it. So once again this morning, I want us to look at the cross and see something else that was going on, another dimension of our appalling situation that was dealt with once and for all on that day. So would you turn with me this time to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm tempted to say uh, Paul's homily to the Hebrews, but I know no one's going to go down that road with me, at least not anybody from the New Testament department. I once tried to convince Peter O'Brien that Paul wrote Hebrews, but he just smiled and went on his way. Uh, But it was good enough for Luther and Calvin. (laughs) Anyway, in the case of Hebrews, it doesn't matter. Because this book, the word of exhortation, as the writer calls it, is anonymous. And whoever was the human author, it is the word of God to us. So Hebrews 9, let me read from verse 11. But when Christ appeared, the high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once and for all into the holy places through the greater and more perfect tent, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling the ashes of a heifer sanctify things that had been defiled for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Because of this, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those called might receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred for the redemption of transgressions committed under the first covenant. But where there is a covenant... The death of the one who made it must be established, for a covenant is confirmed by a death, since it's not in force while the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For after all the commandments according to the law were declared by Moses to all the people, and having taken the blood of calves and bulls with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, he sprinkled the book itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded for you. In the same way he sprinkled with blood the tent and all the vessels of service and nearly everything is cleansed by blood according to the law. And apart from the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be cleansed in this way but the heavenly things themselves with greater sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter holy places made by hands copies of the true thing but into heaven itself not to appear before the uh, now to appear before the face of God on our behalf nor to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest does every year with strange blood blood not his own since then it would be necessary for him to suffer repeatedly from the foundation of the world but now he has been manifested once for all at the conclusion of the ages to remove sin through his sacrifice. And just as it is appointed to men to die once and after that judgment, so also Christ having offered himself once for all to bear the sins of many will appear a second time apart from sin to the salvation of those waiting for him a glorious part of scripture isn't it so many wonderful things are said in this passage the emphasis right from the start is on the one who has come the christ our high great high priest the the mediator of the new covenant so much greater than anyone who's come before moses doesn't hold a candle to him nor david nor any of the others not even the angels he is greater and more splendid than all of them and we're told of the glorious things that he's done, which change our situation forever, entering the holy place, securing an eternal redemption, bearing the sins of many, removing sin through his sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 has one main point, really. So many great things I said along the way, but one main point. And that one main point is the contrast between the sacrifices of the Old Covenant and the one full and final sacrifice of the new. How our uncleanness or corruption was dealt with under the Old Covenant and how it was dealt with under the new. It's not just that the old way has been done away with and that there's something new that's replaced it. The the new is what the old was anticipating all the time. What's done in the new completes what was done under the old and in an important sense it gives it meaning. The old really only makes sense because of the new. After all, how could the blood of bulls and goats take away sins? As this writer says in the next chapter. Only because it was provided as the prefiguring and anticipation of the one true sacrifice to come. But the new doesn't just complete the old, it also goes beyond it. The cleansing that Jesus has come to provide is thorough. It's a washing away of our filth forever. So the first 10 verses of the chapter speak of the inadequacy of the first covenant. It only got you so far. There were so many obstacles to being in God's presence. There were no entry signs all over the place. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and then only once a year, everyone else was kept out. A heavy curtain separated out the holy place from the holy of holies. Even if you'd offered your sacrifice and were declared clean, you still couldn't go in. But more than that, you didn't stay clean for long. And the sacrifices you made had to be made for you again and again, year in and year out. It was never full, thorough and final cleansing that you were offered through the sacrifices. But then, as verse 11 says, Christ appeared, the high priest of the good things that have come. And he's not just another one, not just another high priest, not even the best of them come at last. He was of a different order altogether. He has done what the sacrifices of the first covenant could not do, How could you even contemplate returning to the first covenant when the new covenant has come and it's like this? That would be madness. This is not just the difference between a sponge and a high-pressure hose, the ordinary clean versus the deep clean. This cleansing never has to be done again because this is the high priest of the good things that have come. Leviticus helps us to understand and see how desperately we need this. At every point and in every aspect of life, the Israelites were faced with the ongoing presence and power of sin. And God's real and good provision to cleanse them from sin could only do so much and could only last so long. And we know what that's like a bit, don't we? One New Year's resolution after another... One promise to yourself that this is the last time, only to do it again. Contaminated by your own choices, let alone the choices of others. And your own efforts only ever seem to deal with the symptoms, the the surface grime, not the deep stains. My selfishness is more deeply ingrained than I ever thought it could be. So to my impatience and pride, my envy and anger and hard-heartedness. I'd like to pretend it doesn't matter, that it's not noticed, or that it's dwarfed by the failure of others, but it isn't. And it does matter, and I can't clean myself. And if I'm able to keep it all out of the forefront of my thinking, perhaps it's because I don't have those stark reminders that invaded everyday life for the Israelites. But again, those stark reminders only went so far and that was not very far at all. Something much more than that was needed and the very restlessness of the system pointed forward to something yet to come. But now, he has been manifested once for all at the conclusion of the ages to remove sin through his sacrifice. He offered himself once for all to bear the sins of many. This is what the cross was about. Dealing with the wrath that we deserve, taking away our guilt and condemnation and dealing with the spiritual powers that stood against us who lied about us and accused us and tried to hold us by taking the charge, he took away their chains but also this, standing in our place to bear our sin and to remove it through his sacrifice. By his death, he sets us in the right with God, he disarms and triumphs over the rulers and authorities and he thoroughly, finally, cleanses us from our sins. That's the United Testimony of the New Testament. It was John in his first epistle, wasn't it, who wrote, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin." So we might say that the words it is finished or it is accomplished that john tells us were uttered from the cross were addressed to god addressed to the powers and addressed to us the book of hebrews as a whole was written to encourage christians not to give up and not to go back and the one overpowering reason is because jesus has come The fulfillment of everything the Old Testament had been pointing towards, including the all encompassing sacrificial system we hear about in Leviticus. Sin is still real. We still give proof daily of why this cleansing was necessary. We stumble and fall and grieve that we still struggle with our choices and their consequences and those of others. But we don't need another sacrifice. And we don't need another act of cleansing. Because at every moment of every day, this one final cleansing is applied to us. So yes, life in our fallen world, with its opposition to God and his rule, might still be tough. It was in the first century. It is today. And perhaps we're entering a period when it will be even worse. But who he is is so magnificent And what he has done is so exactly and thoroughly what we need that it makes no sense at all to give up and no sense at all to go back. Once again, I I don't think for a moment that the centurion had worked any of this out as he saw Jesus' blood run down his side and splash onto the ground that day. Neither had those who were watching from a distance. But unseen by him or any human eye that day, this is what was happening. It was his death on that cross that was the presentation of his blood before God. It was not something he did after he died. It was by his cross that he secured the eternal redemption. Offered himself without blemish to God. cleansed not just our bodies but our consciences. That day he drained the cup of God's wrath for his people. He utterly and completely defeated those who stood against his people and he cleansed his people, washing away their sin and overturning their corruption. Anger averted, bondage broken, cleansing completed. But there's one last thing to notice from this passage. It's right there at the end. As certain as Jesus the Christ appeared, our great high priest, the one who offered himself once for all to bear the sins of many, as absolutely certain as he came at that moment and for that purpose, he will appear a second time. This time it won't be to deal with sin. That's been done. It's finished. His return brings instead the full and forward movement of salvation. And he brings it for those who are eagerly waiting for him. With sin gone, apart from sin, what lies ahead is salvation in the richest sense of the term. In the words of Paul, peace with God. Or this access in which we stand. In the pictures of John, the wedding feast of the Lamb. A new heavens and a new earth worth lingering at the cross for a little while, isn't it? The dimensions of what was going on at that moment are huge. But it's also worth waiting for that second appearing. So let me ask you, is that you this morning? Rejoicing in what's been done, and so not giving up and not turning back, with a clean conscience serving the living God, but also eagerly waiting for what is to come the return that will mean salvation in all its fullness for all of this is what the angel meant back in Matthew chapter 1 he will save his people from their sins will you pray with me Father we have so much to thank you for we want to stop and remember that what Jesus did on that cross is so all encompassing for us that all that stands against us has been dealt with. And all the struggle of life has its resolution in that day when you, Lord Jesus, will return and where we who eagerly wait for you will see that salvation that you've won in all its fullness. Please grant us that thankfulness and that eager anticipation. For this we ask of you in Jesus' name. Amen.